0: Here. And good morning. So since as 2023 came to a close, I already have started seeing before and after photos. And, you know, this is what it looked like in 2023. And, and here's where we're at now. And I love before and after photos, whether they are of a person or of a house project that you've been working on. And today's text, we are going to get the cosmic, eternal version of a Before and after photo. I I absolutely love it. We're going to be talking about what it means for a Christian to be brought from death into life. Because we need to understand what salvation is. Church people, we talk a lot about the word salvation. And I think a lot of us talk about it as if it's like a get out of hell free card. As if if you decide to follow the Lord, then the only thing that happens is that you are saved from hell. And while that is certainly part of it, I would invite you to consider today that maybe there is something real that happens to you in this life. That you are brought from death to life right now and that there is a change and that has profound implications for how we live. So by the end of the sermon, I really hope you agree with me that we should dedicate every moment of our lives to the one who has made us alive. So if you would start opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, this is going to be a passage of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And something that we need to know is that the church in Ephesus had a big mix of Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. And that's going to have some profound implications for what Paul says in just a little bit. And Paul does this thing, if you go to the next slide, where he breaks his letters up like this. You'll see the first half is about beliefs what we believe about God, and the second half is about what we do. And from that, we can kind of learn, Paul seems to think if we believe the right things about God, that will affect how we live. And that arrow, well, you can barely see it, but that arrow shows where we are picking up today. We are right in the middle of the beliefs section. But I don't want you to think that 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 means that It does not affect how we live at all because we today are going to learn the foundation of why Christians act the way we act and why we do what we do. What is salvation? Also, really important, speaking of context, to know the context of the first chapter because we're picking up in the second chapter. Paul has just finished talking about Christ. He talks about christ is high and exalted and lifted up and his name is above every name and that's really important because the first words that we're going to see today contrast us with christ it's christ is exalted and you so let's read it ephesians 2 1 through 10 and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me? Father, we revere your word, and we are so grateful for it. God, help us understand it today. Help us understand what you say and why you said it so that we can live better lives, so that we can serve you more fully. Bless our time together. Amen. So we're going to take those first three verses to start out. And it starts with some big words. You were dead. You were dead. And then there's a whole bunch of supporting evidence to explain how you were dead. You were dead following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following your own flesh. It all supports the idea that you were dead. Paul is answering the question, but what does it mean that you were dead? He's talking about Christians before they became Christians. They were dead. But, was anyone here physically dead before they started following Christ? I wasn't. So, that can't be what he's talking about, right? There's a different type of death going on here. And this is why I brought up that context of there were a lot of Jews in the population because they would have known the Old Testament. They would have known the book of Genesis. And I'd like you to think about a very profound death, the first death that occurred in Genesis. When God made the world, he made it perfect. Literally perfect. Every single thing that he created could either be described as good, or in mankind's case, very good. And he gave us one rule. He put a tree, a couple trees, but one in particular, in the middle of that perfect garden, he put a perfect tree, and he gave it to his perfect people. And this is what he said. Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. There's that word. But if you know this passage, you know that they didn't physically die. And I remember reading this as a kid, and I was really surprised. I thought the moment that Eve took a bite, there would be like a lightning bolt from heaven, and poof, she's gone. But it didn't happen. But what did happen? They're talking about a spiritual death. That's what Paul and that's what the author of Genesis are saying. They're saying that a part of us just broke. We used to have the ability to come to God and to share this rich, intimate fellowship with him. We were created very good, and now we're not. We're spiritually dead. We're like Adam. We're like Eve. And in a way, Adam actually represented us. And our sin is his sin, and his sin is our sin. Romans 5.17, talking of Adam, says, Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So over all of us is the curse brought upon by Adam. And you might be thinking, that's not very fair. I don't know Adam. I was never in a magical, perfect garden. But the name Adam, it actually means man like mankind. What he was, was the first one of us. He was the prototype. And just as Adam sinned, has anyone in here not? I, this might sound silly, but I genuinely tried to have a perfect day once. Seriously. I, I had been getting frustrated with myself for how I'd been behaving in certain ways and performing. And I said, you know what? Tomorrow... Like, How hard can it be? One single day, I'm going to be perfect. This is real. I'm not making this up. I actually did this. And the night before, I even went to bed early, because you've got to go to bed early if you're going to be perfect the next day. <laughs> and, and I wake up, and it was one of those mornings where like the world is cold, but the bed is warm. And do you remember how the iPhone alarm used to be? Like aggressive, and my, my iPhone's doing that. And I was just mad and I was just like the injustice of the world that how could God dare to wake me up right now and not let me stay in bed and I threw off the covers and I smacked my alarm and I realized I was complaining that was supposed to be my one perfect day I literally didn't last a single moment of perfect day and I gave up and I think I went to McDonald's later in the day and the point is we were dead I didn't have the choice to be perfect. I couldn't be perfect even when I tried, and I genuinely tried. I lasted a whole millisecond. And that's what our text today, whoa, hey Like Todd said, I'm new at this. So if you'll put the next verse up on the screen, getting into verse 2. We were Dead. Dead dead as a doornail. You are partially dead. You were fully dead. But not only were you not good anymore, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you weren't just neutral. You weren't born fine and then you picked whether to be good or dead. You were actively sinning against the God who gave you so much. We were spiritually dead. We lost the ability to come to God. And the next, or these first three verses, Paul is going to continue to explain what it means that we were dead. So you can see on the screen, I bolded some parts. That's not in the Bible. This is me. I just think there's a theme. And I think if we look at these bolded parts, we're going to be able to see the theme more clearly. You were dead. If we were spiritually dead, what can a spiritually dead person do for themselves? Nothing. They're dead are in the grave they have nothing they can do in and of themselves they were following the course of the world that means the world was pulling us on a string whether we knew it or not the world set our desires the world set our loves the world was calling the shots in our life you're following the prince of the power of the air that's a biblically beautiful way of saying satan you're following satan whether you realized it or not whether you knew it or not you were following the world you were following satan himself and finally you were following the passions of your flesh weird phrasing right passions of your flesh couldn't couldn't have just said my passions but anyone who's been alive for like 5 minutes knows that sometimes your flesh wants to do something that you don't actually want to do It has contrary desires to you, and it continues and says even your mind, even your mind sometimes tells you things that you don't believe and that you don't want to do, but we were a slave. This has often been called the world, the flesh, and the devil. We were following the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we were, by nature, children of wrath. By nature. That's taking us back to the garden. That's saying that we were a part of Adam's Then it was our nature. It's what we were, not just what we did. So, those three the world, the flesh, and the devil they would hate for you to know that you were dead. They'd hate it. They love inculcating in you the idea that you can be alive without God. Because the only being who can make spiritually dead people alive is God. And if you can make yourself alive, If you can set the agenda for your life, you'd be God. And the world wants you to think that you're in control. The world wants you to think that you are God. And in fact, we find ourselves back in Genesis yet again, because what did the serpent say to Eve that got her to eat of the tree? You will be like God. The temptation's back. And our culture has embraced this wholesale, I think. Have you noticed that as a culture, we've shifted from talking about things that are right and wrong to things that you want? Like, like Seriously, what, what are the culture's values for sex? Consent, right? That's the only one that I can identify, which means that it's whatever the self wants. You decide what's right in the bedroom. What about the culture's values just for lifestyle in general? What's like right or wrong for a man or woman to be and to do with their life? Whatever makes you happy. You decide what's right for your life. You are in control. There's this poem written back in 1875 by a poet named William Ernest Henley. And this poem is actually required to be memorized by military service cadets at all of the military academies. They have to memorize this and then repeat it while people whoop them pretty good. And I'd like to read it to you. And, And not because I agree with it, I don't because I think it perfectly sums up the spirit of our age. So Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And so the whisper of Satan continues. And I wonder if, if part of you has started protesting yet pushing back on this idea, telling you, well, you had to be in charge of something. There was some part of the process of the salvation that you were in control of. Okay, you didn't save yourself, but, but you gave God permission to do it, right? I think we got to let that go. I think that's what this text is saying that we have to do it is saying over and over again you were dead you didn't meet god halfway he didn't go 99 percent of the way and then you took the final step he himself brought you from death to life and you should know this because we're not even in charge of the things we want we're not in charge of our desires like guys who love football did you choose to love football Did anyone in the room sit down with like a book of hobbies and flip through it and be like, football's for me. I'm going to base my entire identity upon football and I'm going to be really mad when Tom Brady gets traded. Sorry, sorry. If you don't like football, do this with whatever you want. But one day, you were watching a football game and something just grabbed you. It's not clear to me that we have desires. Our desires have us we were dead. And this is all very theoretical, right? Like, why does this actually matter? If we miss this, we will always come to God thinking that we deserve to be there. Because if we were as helpless as Paul is saying right here, and if there was someone who could save us and would save us, he would deserve everything. He would deserve every moment of our lives to be dedicated to him. And in fact, in these first three verses, I've been hiding something. In the language the Bible was written in, they, they have a way of ending words that shows you what the subject is and what the object is. I know, a little nerdy, bear with me. But I want you to hear something: You are not the subject of this sentence. You are not the point. Believe it or not, there's no period after verse 3. I know there probably is in your Bible, but that's just because Paul wrote really long sentences and no one writes like that in English. We consider consider it a run on. The verse goes all the way, or the sentence goes all the way to verse 7. And you aren't the subject. What's the subject? Well, it appears in verse 4. It just thunders onto the screen. Because so far it's you, you were dead following the course of this world and following your flesh and following the devil, but God, it's like a breath of fresh air. The longest run on sentence finally finds its consummation In hold on, it's okay, God did something. Let's read uh, verse four, which we're going to see. The next few verses are going to answer some major questions. We're going to see that God made us alive with christ he raised us up with christ and he seated us in the heavenly places with christ and we're going to answer three big questions that are going to help us understand that here's our questions for the day why were you made alive how were you made alive and for what were you made alive let's read four and five but god being rich in mercy I mean, we got to stop right there. Keep your Bibles open, by the way. We're just going to plow through this passage. So, being rich in mercy. I bet if I asked anybody in this room, whether you agree or not, that God is rich in mercy, I don't think anyone would disagree. But everyone would be like, yeah, that sounds great. God's rich in mercy. But do we live like that? Or do sometimes we think that our sin is a little too big? The, the way we've messed up, maybe it's too gross. If we think that anything we have done, are doing, or will do can separate us from the love of God, we do not understand how rich He is. He is rich in mercy. Now we answer our first question. Why were you made alive? Because of the great love with which He loved us. That's it. You were made alive because He loved you. And I think this isn't satisfying to a lot of us. Ladies, if your man... And you were talking and you said, honey, why do you love me? And he said, because of the great love with which I love you. You would be, yeah, we're laughing because that's silly. But here's the thing, your man isn't the encapsulation of love. He isn't what love is itself. We ask that question, why do you love me? And we're expecting an answer like, because you're really special. We're expecting because you had potential and God really needed that. No, he's love and he just overflows in love and he saved you because he's love and he saved you because he has great love and he loves you. It's, It's why my wife bought me a Lord of the Rings cookbook for Christmas. I didn't deserve it. She just knew I'd love it and she loves me and I do love it. Thank you. But this actually brings up a really hard question that a lot of people find when they get to this part. It's okay, if, if God only saved me because he loved me, why not that guy? Why me? My mom isn't saved, my brother's not saved. We've talked, I know we all struggle with this. And to be completely honest, church, I'm not going to be able to fully answer this question. He is an omnipotent God who is everywhere and knows everything. And I can't give you a full explanation of everything that he does. What I can tell you is that he loves everyone far more than you could. I know that he sent his son to die for sinners like us. And I also know that that's not even what this passage is talking about. We have to be really careful when we read the Bible Because we have all these questions and we bring them to the Bible and sometimes we want the text to answer a question that it's not even trying to address. It's not trying to tell us why God doesn't save this person. It's trying to tell you why God loved you and saved you. And let us, rather than interrogating it for not telling us something, let us rejoice in what God has done and trust Him that He loves people a lot better than we can. So question one, why did God make you alive? Because he loved you. Now we get to get into the how. Let's read the next verse. Verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, there's that word again, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. So just like the death wasn't a physical death, obviously, this life, or excuse me, it wasn't a physical death, this life isn't a physical life. He gave us a new type of life, spiritual life. He restored us to what we should have been. He brought us back to the garden. He reversed the curse, and now we get to have fellowship with Him And then he answers how you were saved. And he says, by grace. Not by reforming you. He didn't make you saved by gradually changing your behavior until you felt good enough to come into a church building. He saved you because he loved you. And he saved you by giving you something that in no way did you deserve. And I think this is just the best part of following Christ. I really do. Because when I go to pray... When I fall on my knees before God, there was an ounce of me that thought I deserved to be there. I would approach him radically differently than I do. Versus when I approach him with literally nothing to bring, but as we just sang, a hallelujah, all I got is a way to cry out, Lord, you've given me a voice, and all I can do is come before you and say, you are good, and you are holy, and that just removes the me from the equation, and all of a sudden, I'm focused on God himself. You were saved by grace. Not your own works. Not anything you did. So why were you made alive? Because God loved you. How were you made alive? By God's grace and not your works. And now we get to see the rest of the things that God did in this next verse. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So here's our three verbs. He made us alive. That makes sense to us, right? He raised us up. So he didn't leave us in the grave. He pulled us out of the grave. But the last one is kind of weird. He seated us with him. I never hear people talk about that. I never hear anyone talk about us being seated with Christ. When Christ ascended into heaven, he sat at the right hand of God. That means the position of honor. So what Paul is saying is not only did he raise you up, not only did he give you a life that you didn't deserve, he's giving you a position of honor in the kingdom of heaven. And why, why am I belaboring these three verbs, these three things that God did? Because if God made you alive, if God raised you up, and if God gave you the position of honor in heaven, who should our entire lives be about? Who should every church gathering be about? That explains why we come into a church building and raise our hands and sing, holy, do it because he's good, because he's worth it, because we had nothing to bring and he did everything for us. And we look at him when our culture is busy looking at us. We have self-help books and we buy self-flattering clothes and we're told to examine our self-identity and practice self-love, self-care, self-esteem, self-affirmations and I'm exhausted with it. Focus on Christ. The more you look to yourself, the more miserable you're going to be and the more you look to Christ, the more full you will be. So why were you made alive? Because God loved you. How were you made alive? By God's grace not by your works, now we get to talk about for what were you made alive. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why were you made alive? To be a walking display case to walk around displaying the glory of the one who saved you. Why? Because God needs you? No, because you get to be a part of the mission of God. If you didn't cry out the name of Jesus, the rocks would. He doesn't need us, but he lets us be a part because he loves us. I I used to think being a Christian was about what you don't do. Growing up, I I was around a bunch of Christians, and they seemed like the people who didn't do things. They They were the ones who weren't smoking and drinking and having premarital sex. They were the ones who didn't cuss. They were the ones who didn't do drugs. And it's true that we should avoid sin. Absolutely. But this tells me that we should be the people who do. We should be the people who are taking part in the mission of God with every moment of our lives. Whether we're on a commute, in the office, at our homes, or going to sleep. Our goal is to display Christ. And I'd like everyone to ask ourselves, is that your goal? How often do you think about that? And Paul wraps up. So everything we've covered is one sentence. And Paul wraps this up right here in verses 8 and 9. He just puts a bow on the whole thing and he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We should get it at this point. Salvation, being made alive, is a gift that God has graciously bestowed on us, not anything that we did, not anything that we earned. So I think we can answer all three of our questions at this point. Why were you made alive? Because God loved you. How were you made alive? By God's grace, not your own works. And for what were you made alive? To display Christ. And now this last verse. Verse 10 is is the most practical of all. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, like I was saying, this isn't just what we don't do. This verse means that before time began, before the world had its foundations laid, God had good things for you to do. He knew What would happen in your life? And he had laid out a path for you to be involved in his salvific work in mankind. You get to be a part of the mission. And if you haven't been living like you're on a mission, I would invite you today, start this new year off by seeing the mission of God and discovering how has he gifted you. He has gifted you. Ephesians goes on to say that, to take part in his mission. We should dedicate every moment of our lives to the one who has made us alive. So, in conclusion, I think there are two different takeaways for two different groups of people. If you've noticed, this whole passage was dedicated to believers. This is for people who have been made alive. And, sadly, not everyone has been made alive. But Christ is faithful. If you are here and you do not know the Lord yet, if you have not begun following Christ, He is faithful and he will make you alive. Call out to him, beg him for the faith that you don't have and he will make you alive. We're gonna have people, there's two areas marked prayer. And we're gonna have people in both of those areas who would literally love for nothing more than to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about that. And the pastors here would love to talk to you about that. Do not leave here today without life. And for those who know, for those who've been made alive, Let us dedicate every moment of our lives to the one who made us alive. Let us leave no stone unturned, nothing that is not yet Christ's. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we serve you, and we worship you. Thank you so much for bringing us from death to life. Thank you so much for the good news that you came down here to set us free from our sin. We are eternally grateful. And may we live our lives in such a way that serves you. May we see the mission that you have put before us, and would we joyfully take part in it. Help us understand your word better every day, God, and would that change how we live. Amen.